If you're getting ready to go to battle, let's say you're in boot camp and you're training to, uh, to, be, uh, uh, to go overseas to fight, would you rather your instructor have a master's degree in uh, military science or would you rather your main instructor have done two tours of combat duty? Two tours. Ideally, you would like both. You would like someone who is educated and someone who had actually uh, had bullets fly over their head, correct? But if you're going to have to pick one or the other, you would probably pick the one who had been there and done that. In Judges chapter 4, if you were here last Sunday night, we kind of did an overview of this chapter and looked at some big principles. And tonight, I want us to go back and I want us to look at some very specific principles that are so applicable to, to every one of us here, regardless of where you are in your life. And they're being shared, obviously, from God, but also from people who were in the fray, who were in the battle. This is not theory, a theorist. These are practitioners uh, that, are, that are sharing their experience. Here's the first thing this evening. We all face problems and decisions. We all have problems and decisions, don't we? Yes, pastor, we do. How many of you are normal and have problems and face decisions in your life? Every one of you do. Uh, <clears throat> verse 1 through 3, it says, After Ehud, remember this is the guy who was the, the great leader who killed Fatty the king. You remember that story a couple weeks back with the sword? Literally, it says he stuck it and it disappeared in his fat. How can you forget that if you've ever heard it? Don't you wish you had a pictorial Bible right there that could see that? But the Israelites, no, probably not. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. You see this consistent pattern. God saves them. They do well, then they do bad. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Chapin, a king of Canaan, who reigned at Hazar. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagamium, because he had 900 iron chariots, and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Uh, here's just a little sidebar. How, how many years, how many months, how many days are you going to have to waller in your mess before you cry out to the Lord for help? Wouldn't this story have been great if it had said after six months they cried out to the Lord for help? Are you following me? Uh, after 20 years, now... A quick review, this battle, this part of the, uh, the, the fighting is going to place t take place in northern Palestine. The, the, what we've seen earlier in this book, it's been in the southern part of Judea, more or less. And this is going to be not far from Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. Jabin may have been his personal name, but it was also a title given to Canaanite kings, like Egyptian kings were called pharaohs. Japan was a title for Canaanite king, so it may have been just a title. And it says that they had 900 iron chariots. Now, you, we saw iron a few weeks ago in this book. Iron would, is much sturdier than wood. It, it is more dangerous than wood. And it was certainly intimidating. So they had, they had a huge numerical uh, advantage over the Jewish people, plus they had a technology advantage uh, over the Jewish people. And it had been going on for 20 years. It's, the Jewish people have problems, don't they? I mean, they're getting beat down is what it amounts to. And they're getting controlled and dominated by evil people. And I just want to remind you, the only people tonight who don't have problems are in heaven. 
Correct? Are either, are, and I'm not trying to be funny at all, are either it's people who have lost their mind to a point that they don't realize they have problems anymore. And I don't ever want to be there. I don't know about you. The only people tonight who don't have decisions to make are the people in heaven and the people in hell. The people in hell wish they could make a decision and they can't. And the people in heaven already made the great decision and they don't have to make another one. So this side of heaven, you're going to have problems. This side of sanity, you're going to have problems. And this side of, uh, uh, of eternity, you're going to have decisions that you have to make. Okay? Find God's will is our second point this evening. You got issues, you have problems, you have decisions, you can waller in them, you can flounder in them, you can spend the rest of your life being the most negative, gripey, complaining person, or you can say, you know what, I'm not going to waller for 20 more years, I'm going to find God's will on this decision. Where do you find God's will? I want to give you three places. Number one, his clear will is in his Bible. It's in our Bible. (laughs) Now, ironically for them, what they had of our Bible then was very limited, and their Bible was not going to tell them what they needed specifically to do here as far as battle plans. We're going to look at a moment where they found that and where we can find it too. In fact, if they would have had our full Bible, they still would not have known specifically what to do against these evil people but the Bible you and I are blessed with is 66 books. Did you know that? 66 and 1. <clears throat> and it gives us a, not all, but a lot of great clear direction for our lives. Folks, if the Bible says it plainly, you don't have to pray about it. You don't have to debate it. Now, we may debate whether the Bible on minor issues whether the Bible means this or that. But on major issues, the Bible's pretty clear if you're looking for clarity. Uh, one thing that you, you hear, you know, occasionally, you don't hear often, you may hear a married person say, well, maybe God wants me to leave my spouse and marry that other, spouse, uh, that other person. They're better looking, they have more money, they're nice or whatever. I'll pray about it. You need to pray about it one fraction of one half of one tenth of one hundredth of a second. Because the Bible is going to clearly tell you, you don't do that. Uh, I, I'm going to say this. This just needs to be said. We're, we're dealing with this the, the homosexual marriage issue. As your pastor, here's how long I'm going to pray about doing a marriage that's not between a man and a woman. Zero, none, nada. As long as I'm the pastor here, it ain't going to happen here. You know why not? We're going to love everybody. Everybody we are going to love and embrace, but the Bible has spoken clearly, and I have to go to jail before I can violate that. And then it'll be your responsibility to send me pies and cakes while I'm in jail. Amen? Well, y'all, that's the easy stuff. Of course you can do that while I'm lingering away in, in prison. When the Bible's clear, we don't have to vote on it. We don't have to pray about it. Listen, when the Bible is clear in your decision, you know, it, it, that's God's will for you. But here's the second thing. A lot of times the Bible's not clear. We find God's will through the leadership of the Holy Spirit. 
we find God's will through the leadership of the Holy Spirit. In verse 6 and 7, Deborah sent for Barak, son of Abinanam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord God of Israel commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him in to your hands. Now, Deborah is the hero of this chapter and the next chapter. She's the fifth judge or leader of Israel. Her and Samuel are the only judges that are called prophets as well as judges. A prophet, and she is a prophetess, was someone who heard from God. Sometimes it may have been as far as uh, a future revelation in the Old Testament, but it was certainly uh, someone who was a spokesperson, got a word from God. Now, it's very interesting here. They weren't going to find these directions specifically in the Bible, were they? They, they, they weren't. Uh, he, he, God speaks through Deborah, through the Holy Spirit, and he says, you need to go send the, the troops to Mount Tabor. We saw a picture last week. Let's look at it again of Mount Tabor. Beautiful place. And you see what's interesting. This just, this is God. Listen, God's directions are always perfect. God tells them to go to this mountain. It's about 1,800 feet above sea level. You can see on this side of the mountain, there's a lot of cover under those trees. The bad guys are going to come to the Jezreel Valley, which is down here below. We're going to, we got a picture of that. We'll see, and that's looking for Mount Tabor on this valley. I mean, militarily and strategically, uh, again, this is about two and a half miles from where Jesus grew up in Nazareth. This was, this was absolutely a perfect battle strategy for them. Where did Deborah get this? She got this from the Holy Spirit. She got this from the Spirit of God. Now, I, I know today, I know today that there's people who are skeptical of the Holy Spirit speaking, and here's why they are, because we've heard so much hogwash in the name of the Holy Spirit. God told me, God led me, God told me. And oftentimes it's self-serving, it's mean-spirited, it's, uh, you know, and it's just God told me to leave my wife and marry somebody else. No, he didn't. So we've heard so much junk that we, we throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's actually a theological system called cessationism. And cessationism believes that when God gave us the Bible at the end of the first century, 1900 years ago, that God ceased to speak in any way but through the Bible uh, after that point. I think that that is absolutely incorrect because I think the Bible itself says that's incorrect. The ramifications of that are huge. Ramifications of that are huge because that would mean as you pray, God is not going to speak to you in any way except in the Scripture. Now, in the Scriptures, in John chapter 14, verse 16 through 18, listen to what Jesus said. John 14, he goes, And I will ask the Father, Jesus is fixing to leave, and he will give you another counselor. And Jesus was saying, a counselor that is identical to me to be with you forever. This is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him. It neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, I want to elaborate on this for just a second. See, Jesus is leaving. And if you had walked this earth with Jesus, touching his flesh for three years, and he says he's leaving, wouldn't you have been panicked? 
because you could have asked him about anything at any time. Jesus said, look, I, I'm not leaving you as an orphan. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who is identical to me to live in you to be a counselor. In John 16, 13, Jesus says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will speak not on his own, but he will speak only what he hears and what he will tell you. He will tell you what is yet to come. So make sure you get this right. The Holy Spirit will never lead you against the Bible. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. Does that make sense? He's not going to contradict his Bible. That's where we get in trouble. God led me. God led me. God will never lead you against this. But there's a lot of areas and battles you will face that the Bible will not be specific. So you've either got to decide that God's just going to let you decide on your own or, but when, or that when God says pray about everything, he really meant it, and then he's going to guide you about everything. I'm going with the fact I believe God will guide me in everything. You know, when I was a baby Christian, I mean, I hadn't been a Christian probably a month, I had an opportunity. Uh, it was kind of in a transition time in my life to in college to go to another college and, and to play football. And I, again, I, all I knew is that Jesus loved me, Jesus lived in me, and Jesus wanted to guide me. And I wanted to make the right decision, and I didn't know what to do. The school was a long way from where I lived. I went for a visit, and I just prayed, and I said, God, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. By the way, that's the very best prayer you can pray when you don't know. I said, God, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I'm open, whatever you tell me to do. And when I left, a couple of days later from that visit, great place, great school, in my heart, I felt a real uneasiness. And I knew as a Christian of four weeks that that was the Holy Spirit saying, that's not where you're supposed to be. So if the Holy Spirit's not supposed to speak, he's broke that to me a couple of times, and I bet he has to many of you. Seek the Holy Spirit. Pray and ask God to speak to you through the Spirit of God. Listen to Him. Take time to be quiet. Know that the boundaries are the Bible. He'll never violate that. But if you want to be right, you want things to go well, you've got to be in God's will. And to be in God's will, you've got to be inside the Bible, and you've got to listen to the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a third ingredient of this is seek wise counsel. Seek godly counsel. This was all through this story. And this helps us keep all this in balance. Seek godly counsel. Verse 5. Deborah held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. Deborah was a judge by calling, but she was a wise, godly, discerning lady. And, and you see, one of the practices you see here, when they needed help in, in decisions, they went to this lady who could help them with her wise counsel. In verse 8, it says, Barak said to her, if you don't go with me, I, I, if you'll go with me, I'll go. But if you don't, I won't go. No, I said last week, this is one of two things. It's either a man who was a chicken or this was a man who was very wise. And he said, you know what? I'm going to go into battle. I want somebody with me who can give me godly counsel. And so it may have been a little bit of both by, by reading the whole story, chicken and a wise guy. Find people who love you. Find people who love Jesus. Find people who will give you wise and godly counsel. I've been blessed throughout my life to have several people that I can call and go to. 
and, and listen to, and they're going to always tell me, I believe objectively, what they believe God would say on the subject and what they believe is best for me. Now, here's the catch. They're not always right. I thought about this this week. One of my friends who's been a friend for many, many, many years, and any time I've had major decisions, I've gone to him. And I bet if I was to count them up, there'd be 40 times over the last 30 years. And I bet out of 40, I bet 38 times I have done what he suggested I do because it fell in line with these other things. I can remember several years ago I had a big decision to make. And as I talked to him, he was giving me some advice and the Holy Spirit was giving me different advice. <laughs> and it was hard because this person is very close to me. But what I had to do is I had to, this may sound, doesn't that sound funny? I had to obey the Holy Spirit. Well, of course I had to obey the Holy Spirit. And as great a friend and godly a friend as he is, you know what? The Holy Spirit is batting a thousand, isn't he? The Holy Spirit has never missed on a decision. Isn't that good? He's never, never missed on a decision. So you follow the Holy Spirit. I I read this week a story of a missionary named Stanley Jones. And E. Stanley Jones was a great missionary in Africa years ago. And he tells a story of getting lost in the jungle. And, and this is a guy who lived in Africa for years. He knew this part of the country well, but he got lost. And he said in the middle of the jungle, he stumbles upon a hut. And he said it was, just, it was just the grace of God, the mercy of God. And he, the, a man in the hut agrees. He said, I will take you back to one of the main trails and get you back to where you need to go. And he said, and so he, he, the man said, follow me. And so they begin to go through the jungle. And he goes, there's no trail. The guy's chopping. And, you know, it's like a Tarzan movie. How many of you, y'all ever seen Tarzan? You need to go to YouTube tonight and watch a 1935 Tarzan. Nobody could yell like Tarzan. Amen? Jane's yell was horrible. I watched an old Tarzan movie. I'm not being sexist, but she could not do the Tarzan yell very well. Watch, y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. Watch this tonight. Go home. You don't have anything better to do. Watch a Tarzan on YouTube. But they're going through the jungle, and he's chopping and chopping. And finally, Stanley Jones says, uh, sir, there is not a trail. The man turns around and smiles and says, follow me. I am the trail. They said this a moment ago. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You, you, you want to know what to do? You make sure you're following Jesus. Amen. Amen. Oh, there's not a trail. I don't understand. You don't have to understand. You follow Jesus. Let me give you the third thing. You've got to act and stay the course. This is what I was not told enough as a young Christian. You seek God's will. You find God's will. And then you've got to act. And you've got to stay with it. This is tough. This is tough. In Judges chapter 4, verse 6, it says, So she sent for Barak. Son of Abinadim, and, and from Kadesh. Oh, these names are crazy. And Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Cephalim, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. In verse 6, when it says commands, listen, that was not a suggestion. That was not saying, God wasn't saying, Oh, shucks, you know what? If you want to be pure and moral, be pure and moral. Or if the Holy Spirit's saying to you, this is what you need to do, most of the time the Holy Spirit isn't saying, I don't really care. Do whatever you want to do. That word command was a superior to an inferior. It was a king to his subject. That's a word from God to you and me. It's to be acted on. Listen, God shares his will not so that we'll be thrilled, but so that we will do his will. That will act on his will. This was a command that God gave them. In verse 14 through 16, listen to what happens. 
Deborah said to Barak, Go. This is the day the Lord has given Caesarea into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down to Mount Tabor, followed by 10,000 men. And at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Caesarea and his chariots and his army by the sword. Caesarea abandoned his chariots, fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as the crazy hometown of this man. And all the troops of Caesarea fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Let me tell you this. God showed them what to do, but they had to go out and fight. See, this is where we mess up as Christians. We want to find God's will, and then we want to just roll around in it and say we found God's will. You've got to find God's will, and you've got to do God's will. This was left out of part of my early discipleship. And it's going to be a battle. It's going to be tough. Now, wait a second, preacher. Shouldn't doing God's will be easy, fun, and nice? No. Here's what happens when you start doing God's will. The devil's not happy. The people who were initially hurt by your decision are not going to be happy. When I started pastoring at 23, I thought everybody wanted to see people save the town, change, and the church full. It took two weeks to understand that's not true. We're good. (laughs) Here's what I'm trying to help you. I want you to understand that God's will is meant to have feet put to it and to be acted on. And then you're going to do God's will, especially at first. There's a great peace, and then it gets hard. Colossians 4.12, I bet I read this verse a hundred times before I finally got the last party. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greeting. Listen to this, always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all of the will of God. Here's what I did a lot as a, a young Christian. I would do the will of God, and then it would get tough, and I'd back out. Because... I didn't understand the pain. I didn't understand the loneliness. I didn't understand the hurt. I didn't understand the rejection. Doing God's will is supposed to be ice cream and cake and no calories. And I'm eating spinach and getting fat. And see, you need to hear this. When God lays his will out for you, you've got to do it. But you've got to keep doing it. Faith plus works But I want to add something to that. Face plus works plus continue to work. You must put your hand on the plow and keep plowing. When God told them to go to battle, they didn't skip out there and whistle. Man, they were going. Arrows were flying and bodies were going everywhere. It was bloody and messy. Put your hand to the plow and keep on plowing. But here's the last part of it. Man, when we do this, success will come. Isn't that the good part? Success will come. A lot of us don't, we don't keep our hand on the plow long enough to see the success. Verse 14, his will and his presence. Man, verse 14. Deborah said to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Wow, isn't that great? 
Now, this is a weird thing, and it sounds like I'm playing a word game, but this is the truth. God is always everywhere, but God's presence and power with you versus God's presence and power not being with you basically mean his blessings in his hand. See, God's everywhere, but God's power and blessings are not everywhere. Amen? He was telling them, this is God's will. And if you're doing God's will, God's hand and his power and blessing is going to be on you. God's going before you. You've got to fight. God's in the ring ahead of you. I remember when I was in a missions class in graduate school, the professor said, you may go somewhere where they've never heard the name of Jesus, but you cannot go anywhere where God has not been. God is everywhere. But listen, when you know God's will and you do God's will, you may get arrows shot at you. You may get a couple of them stuck in your head. But God's presence and power will be with you. Folks, you can go through life as a Christian and not have the hand of God on you. Or you can go through life and have the hand of God on you. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. Remember what I said last week? What lies within us is always greater than what lies before us. I got that from 1 John 4, 4. 1 John 4, 4 says, You dear children, you're from God. You've overcome the world because the one who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than the one that is in the world. We've got the power of God in us. The power and presence of God go with those who are in his will, and then we have real success. I'm not going to read it again, but... But the story happened like this in verse 15 and 16. They came down from that mountain. There's about 10,000 Jewish people anywhere from 40,000 to 100,000 of the bad guys. The bad guys had much superior technology. But here's what happened. God set the whole thing up. The, the bad guys are down in the valley. That's a bad place to be if people are fighting downhill towards you. The Kishon River overflows. These heavy chariots get stuck in the mud. And the Jewish people come down there and it's like shooting. Uh, it's a shooting gallery. And they slaughter them. And I know this is terrible, but this is a righteous battle. In verse 23 and 24, it says that basically this was the end of the bad guys at this point. Remember that the... the, the the bad guy, Cicero, ended up getting a peg stuck in his temple by a chick. You remember that last week? And then Barak, the leader of the Jewish people, runs him down and defeats him completely. They had been oppressed for 20 years, but one day with the power of God, and they win. Did you get that? Church. We can wallow around the next 20 years, or we can be in the will of God, and we can see great things happen. And in your life, you can continue to waller in whatever you're in until we bury you. And then you can waller in your casket until you go to heaven. And you're going to get to heaven if you know Jesus. But you can, go to, you can go to heaven with tears in your eyes or with joy in your heart. And victory. Real success comes when we're in the will of God. George W. Truett was a great preacher. Pastor First Baptist Dallas for 47 years. Truett said this. He said, the greatest knowledge there is is to know the will of God. And the greatest achievement is to do the will of God. The will of God is not always easy, but it's always right. And the will of God is always where you find the power and the peace and the blessing of God. Amen and amen. This evening, you need to be in the will of God. You need that more than anything else. If you're here and you're not a Christian, the first part of being in the will of God 
is surrendering your life to Christ. You come and do that in a moment. You want to join our church and that's what God's leading you to do? That's his will for you. You come and do that. Christian, look at me. Are you in God's will? Will you make whatever radical decision you need to make tonight to get yourself in God's will? It's your choice. Let's stand. And as we sing, you come.